Hi friends, I'm Tanya Luna, psychology researcher and educator. And I'm Brian Luna, and I can't eat Apple Jacks in front of anything naked. And you're listening to Talk, Talk Psych, Psych to, to me. me, a show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Let's get into it. So Brian, yes. we've been watching a lot of Walking Dead and mm, Fear the Walking Fear Dead the walking lately, dead. That's right. uh, which is about zombies, but also about a pandemic, which feels very timely. Yes. And one of the things that you had a really surprisingly thoughtful thought about. Oh, very rare. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaned in. I want to know exactly <laughs> what, it, what it was. Well, you had a really cool observation, which is that the reason that that show, which is about zombies, is called mm-hmm. The Walking Dead, isn't because of the zombies, but because of what it does to the living people. Right, right. The, the people are The Walking Dead. Yeah. Could you explain that? In a nutshell, in a world where there's zombies, basically, when you die in this world, you come back because everyone is infected with this virus. But not just that. I mean, it also applies to the hope and smashing of the hope that some of these people go through. And like every single person has to find their reason to live. So until they do that, they're the walking dead. Yeah. The, the people are. I think that's so beautiful. Ever since you said that, I've been looking at it as a show about what happens when people stop caring about other people. Or stop seeing each other as people. <laughs> yes. Okay. And in so doing... Which is what's caused debate between you and I about how we'd handle yes. an ap- zombie apocalypse. Because every... you're so trusting and that gets them into shit every week. Every night in the Luna household. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, but you would take the survivors. And you're like, absolutely no. not. Are you crazy? <laughs> but... The whole point of that show is that if you only focus on your physical survival, you stop being alive, or at least the alive part that actually matters. Right. And in the field of psychology, that type of aliveness is typically referred to as empathy. So that's what I'd love to talk oh, to you about today. shoot. All right. Empathy. Empathy psychology. Maybe by the end of the show, we can settle once and for all what the right thing to do in a zombie apocalypse is. <laughs> all right. Should I do my rationale up front and then at the end see if I've changed? Like okay. the reason why. So yeah. my thing is, you got to find a home base because you want to let people in on a wandering, like a caravan kind of thing. When everyone's trying to find their ground, no one knows where they're going to sleep. And you don't have to, to talk ground. about my perspective. Do okay, you so share, what's your perspective me, <laughs> as me, it pertains to it, empathy in a time of apocalypse? If you're not grounded and you don't have a home base, you can't take any can't take any more mouths on or take any more responsibility on. You can't. Okay, so you're Because saying... those are the people that are going to kill you. The, the people that you let in that are like, hey, we're good, we're good. They're the ones hiding the bite. And then the next thing you know, I'm sleeping next. And I was like, is that snoring? No, it's it's the zombie <laughs> in my ear and he's trying to bite my ass. So, no. Why is he trying to bite your ass in your no, ear? No, no, the ass is in this in the situation is all of me. Okay. Right? So I'm You are it. an ass. Wait a second. <laughs> nice. Nice. Boy, I walked right okay. in. So to summarize, your perspective Damn. is don't show empathy until you're safe. <laughs> no, but no, but I get it. It's a worthwhile perspective. I mean, okay, if you want to, if you want to break it down like that, yeah, yeah. Because on the spectrum of empathy, you can go no empathy, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not looking out for anyone. Yeah. I don't want to do any spoilers, but there are some people on the show who have that life perspective. Shocking. Then on the other side of the spectrum is more me, which is like. Let's just go for the empathy. Sure, let's go. Yeah, you look you look fine. That redness, I'm sure, will clear up around your bite. It's fine. <laughs> okay, I didn't make fun of your life perspective. Well, you, I'm alive to make fun of that, so go ahead. <laughs> and then you're. it sounds like you're more of a moderate. Like, yes, I will show empathy. I will help others, but let me make sure that I'm helping myself first. Well, not helping myself, but let me make sure that I'm in a position to help before I can help others. So obviously this debate has been coming up quite a bit in the living room, <laughs> but I'm also hearing a version of this debate coming up yes. in conversations around the world as it pertains to our current non-zombie, thankfully, pandemic. Hey, that's one thing to be happy about. No zombies. Yet. So to help answer some of these questions, or at least to give people some more conversational capacity around having these conversations about empathy, today we're gonna figure it out. First, starting with what empathy is, mm-hmm. how it works, whether it's good or bad or something in between, and finally, how to learn it or unlearn it. Sure. How does okay. that sound? Yep. Sounds great. Okay. So let's start with the definition of empathy. And one of the things I've learned through doing this show is that whatever your definition is, is typically superior to whatever the dictionary <laughs> no, combined no, with the entire gonna... field of psychology <laughs> has This is going to be together. one of those, things, those hard things to, uh, to define because... We all think we know what it is, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah. I think empathy is the ability to feel others' emotions or, like, kind of to read the room. Uh, Nailed it. 
Nailed it. No. Nailed it. There's so much debate about this, and psychologists are bickering with one another about this, but you pretty much summed it up. For me, it helps to understand what empathy is by first understanding what it isn't. Okay. One concept that empathy is often confused with is sympathy. Empathy and sympathy are different in that sympathy is really about caring about other people's feelings. Empathy also isn't the same thing as compassion, which it's also often confused with. Compassion is being moved to take action Hmm. because of other people's suffering. And then empathy is exactly what you said. It's understanding and even feeling the emotions of others. It appears that this concept only became popularized in the late 1800s by a German philosopher named Robert Vischer, who introduced the word Einfühlung. Yeah, I knew that. What, What do you know? It's like bait. You put it on a hook, uh, usually for like night trap and stuff like that. And what is it? Can you say it? Neinfalong. Neinfalong. Oh, I was actually... Unfalong. I was was actually talking about Einfalong. Yeah, Einfalong. (laughs) Einfalong means feeling into... There's no such thing as night trap. I'm sorry. I just made that up. Sorry, go ahead. That was abundantly clear. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I thought I had to Thank you for the clarification. I had to clarify for listeners. (laughs) And they're like going to their stores or whatever going, can I get some Neinfalung, please? Oh, that reminds me. I'm all out of Einfalung. So it means feeling into. And Vischer used this word to capture our ability to enter a piece of art, whether it's a painting or a story, and feel the emotions of the artist. Interesting. So it's about stepping into the feelings of others. Hmm. So I love drawing on that history of it because that's really what it's all about. It's about my ability to accurately feel what you are feeling. And there are three flavors of empathy. Cognitive empathy, emotional empathy, and somatic empathy. Ooh, all right. Cognitive empathy, it's understanding the emotion. Emotional empathy, sometimes also known as affective empathy, it's feeling the emotion. Okay. And then somatic empathy is experiencing physical sensations in your body based on what other people are experiencing in their bodies. Mm -hmm. Researchers study empathy using fMRI brain scans as well as self-assessment questionnaires. So here's one example of a questionnaire called the Toronto Empathy Questionnaire. I'm going to use a short version of this to assess your empathy levels. Do you have a a U.S. one? No. um, Canadians are much nicer, so... Yeah, all right. (laughs) I'm going to go with the global experts in this field. So to simplify, I'm just going to ask for a mostly no... Or mostly yes. Okay. Number one, when someone else is feeling excited, you tend to get excited too. Mostly yes. Other people's misfortunes tend to disturb you a great deal. Mostly no. (laughs) (laughs) It upsets you to see someone being treated disrespectfully. Mostly yes. You enjoy making other people feel better. Mostly yes. You can tell when others are sad even when they don't say anything. Mostly yes. You find that you are in tune with other people's moods. Mostly yes. You become irritated when someone cries. Mostly no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> irritated? That one was negatively stated. Oh, just to like, make sure that people aren't going, yep, 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 yep. I was like, what a jerk. I thought this last one was interesting because while I also score high on this assessment, as you do, I do, if I'm honest, get a little irritated when kids cry. And me. And when you cry. Because <laughs> you make me cry. Because, you, you know, enough irritated. is enough sometimes. Yeah, enough you know? is enough. <laughs> <laughs> I come from Ukraine. We're a, a, a cold, rational. Didn't y'all used peoples. to make people cry so you can drink it later? <laughs> I mean, again, bowl, cold, bowl rational, practical. Make, <laughs> make potato and beet Use soup. Use it for seasoning. <laughs> <laughs> that potato and beet soup part is real. <laughs> that is, in fact, pretty much the only soup we ever ate. Okay, so now that we're clear on what empathy is, and by the way, you did score very high. In the real version of the questionnaire, there would be a scale and there would be more questions. But even based on these questions and knowing what I know of you, you are a highly empathetic person. Yes, but it's also the one that, like, other people's misfortunes. I mean, I'm also human, so... Sometimes you see someone fall, as we've discussed earlier (laughs) in other things, or something. Like, I do... It's hard for me to feel... I mean, I do care for them, but initially... Okay, so just so listeners know... What is your morning ritual literally every day? Some people meditate, some people practice yoga, some people practice gratitude. What do you do every single morning? I watch, I watch. A little louder? Sorry, it's just a little clearer? I watch fail videos. (laughs) And for people who aren't familiar with this nook of the internet, what are fail videos or fail compilations? people falling and and having misfortune. (laughs) 
physical misfortune usually. Okay. And uh, it's, it's a good way to start my day. Okay, so literally question two, other people's misfortunes tend to disturb me a great deal. Your version would be other people's misfortunes tend to entertain me a great deal. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know anyone who doesn't see someone slip and fall. I mean, maybe there's some people that are way too serial that are like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, yeah, there's time for that. But initially you got to let it out. Gotta... <laughs> but if it was a true misfortune. Yeah. If someone slipped, fell, and, oh, and became seriously injured. Well, like mean, that time my mom decided to start rollerblading. <laughs> we weren't there. Thank God we weren't there to see her fall. <laughs> First we laughed. That would have been When terrible. she broke her arm. Yeah. But then we felt bad. Of course we did. I think you know we're empathetic because we actually have what we call total... Oh, what do we call it? Total cry time? We total measure how many time. minutes... Remember when we when we did this experiment, we actually measured how many minutes it took us to start crying when we were watching oh. the house makeover show. Oh my gosh. Oh, Extreme move Makeover. Bus. Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Y- yes, move that And we bu- would literally start the show bu- and I would click start on the timer. Yeah. And yeah. I think our average was about four minutes and 30 seconds. As soon as the, as soon as the, the head of the household, because the other ones are supposed to be tough... As soon as they started breaking down, we, we would were just like, look at each other and I would puddles, click the tear button. Sh- and just like pouring. <laughs> oh, yeah. We would have had beet, potato beet soup for days. <laughs> okay. So now that we're clear on what empathy is, let's talk about how it works. Okay. Probably the best understood type of empathy is somatic empathy. Mm-hmm. Before I explain how it works, I want to show you a video and ask you to describe what's happening in the video and what's happening for you physically should you feel anything in your body. Okay. All right. I'm starting to feel it in my palm. <laughs> Ah, all right. Flip it over, and I can kind of see where it's gonna poke out. So tell us what what's going on. Describe what's happening um, in the video. She's oh no! She's poking a needle through her arm, through her hand. (laughs) Oh my god! Okay, so she's got a a, a, a acupuncture needle, and she's she's putting it through the back of her hand. And she flips it over, and you could see it coming out of her palm. And can you describe anything you're feeling? Yeah, my hand is close. Oh, it just popped through. It's through now. It's through. It's poking. It's, it's, it's all the way out. It's all the way out. Oh. Okay, you can stop it. Why did she do that? She looks like the exact person who would do that. But like, did she? Is she mad at her parents or so like what? Let's not talk she, about her. Let's talk about you. I can't help it. That's that's insane. That's insane. So as you were watching that video, I noticed you were doing something with your hand. What were you doing? I don't know. What was I doing? You tell me. You were gripping it right yeah. in the spot where a needle was oh, coming yeah, out of yeah, her yeah. hand. Yeah. And what were some of the sensations that you felt in your hand? So when she put it in the back of her hand, I was like, I've had acupuncture. I was like, suck it up. And then she flips her hand over, and she's like, you could see where it's going to come out. And I was like, yeah, you would if you were going to, oh. And it started coming right through a little nub, and that's when I could feel it. My hand started closing, and uh, right in the middle of my hand started closing around it. And then I started, like, waiting for and it to, like, burst it. open. And you started rubbing it. I started yeah, holding yeah, your yeah. hand. So somatic empathy is possible because of a cluster of neurons that researchers call mirror neurons. Mirror neurons. I know mirror neurons. Yep. The thing that allowed you to feel a little bit of what she was feeling, Mm -hmm. those are your mirror neurons. And it's kind of like um, neuroscientists often describe it as like virtual reality neurons that give you a sense of what other people are feeling, sending signals to the corresponding part of your body. Mirror neurons exist because they help us learn from others. If I'm trying to pick up a skill, instead of just hearing how to do it or just watching you do it, I can actually feel what it might be like in my body to do it. And it also probably makes us more likely to help one another. Communication too, yeah. I mean, like, if we don't speak the same language and you see someone feeling a particular thing, you you know, we can kind of understand. Yeah, you can literally feel a little bit of it in your body. And somatic empathy, it is different from cognitive or emotional empathy, but research shows that they're correlated. So people who report feeling more empathy, like emotional empathy or cognitive empathy, they actually have more mirror neuron activation. Hmm. That mirror neuron activity might be in many ways the foundation of some of the more evolved aspects or types of empathy. It's funny because speaking of evolution, I'm wondering if like that was particularly useful for people who were hurt in order to keep the pack moving you had to make sure everyone was moving together mm. so if one person was hurt well i wonder sometimes about our pack me and you and your mirror neurons brian because every once in a while i'm in the kitchen and maybe i burn myself or i cut myself <laughs> and i scream and i'm just like he'll be here any moment now and nothing 
Really? So how do you think, how active would you say your mirror neurons are? Well, I'd say they're as active as, say, in the same household if <laughs> I were to slip on water while I'm carrying it, two cases of water that you left on the ground. Hypothetically. Hypothetically speaking. And I fall and the first thing out of your mouth is a... <laughs> And then come over, I would say my mirror neurons are, are firing on all cylinders, I would say, in this house, in the Luna house. Okay, to be fair, that particular situation... You're still situation... laughing, by the way. You're like, you're... Not only are you feeling empathy, you're feeling empathy and giving it the finger. You're like, oh yeah, I know it hurt. I will say that situation from a learning perspective, because mirror neurons are helpful for learning... Seeing how much pain you were in after that and for how long really helped me understand that my it will evaporate perspective, it has some flaws. So we talked a little bit about somatic Mm -hmm. empathy. Let's talk cognitive and emotional empathy because this is really the type of empathy people talk about when they talk about empathy. Mm -hmm. They're usually discussed interchangeably, but they actually are processed differently in the brain. So neuropsychology studies have found that cognitive empathy, this is understanding people's emotions, not surprisingly, that type of empathy is largely processed in the frontal lobe, the region of the brain responsible for logic and reason. Whereas emotional empathy, this is processed in the temporal lobe. So you see activation of the thalamus and the limbic system where emotion is processed. Researchers have also found that emotional empathy produces oxytocin in the brain. Mm -hmm. You might remember oxytocin from episode one when we talked about cuteness. It's also known as the cuddle chemical. It's the neurotransmitter that promotes bonding and a feeling of connection. Emotional empathy seems to have evolved as a helping and caretaking mechanism. Cognitive empathy can be used to help, but it can also be used to do stuff like influence, persuade, or even manipulate someone. Can you think of an example of manipulative empathy? Say you want someone to take care of you or help you. You might seem a little more distraught or you might kind of like pour it on or look a little more helpless. Can you give me an example of when you do this to me? <laughs> oh my god i'm so hungry i have a headache <gasps> oh those aren't gosh. real headaches nope not one never had I haven't even, had have headache. you ever even had i a haven't headache? had a headache since 84 <laughs> <laughs> and i haven't been alive since 85 <laughs> so boom we're i've been practicing way longer and another this is an interesting one another example i can give you is a stand-up comic Stand-up comics have to go up and, and read a room. So Absolutely. say they're trying out new material, or say they're doing their regular material, it doesn't matter. They start doing their thing, and all of a sudden the crowd isn't reacting so hot. In a moment, they have to understand that and either switch gears or just plow through. And, and You're giving them what they want. Yeah, and I, and I would say musicians do that too in live concerts. I think this is where going back to the roots of empathy is so important because it was really developed as a concept to explain how we as humans interact with art. And no, exactly. When you said that, that's what made me think about it. know how to yeah, not just change pictures. the emotions of sure. others, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's completely right. I think your example of you manipulating me, <laughs> that I would say is a negative example of how empathy could be used for evil. In the example of stand-up comedy, I think that's an asset, that's a skill set that you can use to serve your audience, to work with the crowd. When it comes to the dark side of empathy, there's actually evidence that relational indirect aggression, so the kind of like mind bullying Mm -hmm. or mind messing that we talked about in our episode on popularity, what research shows is that people who are better emotional bullies are actually more empathetic. Absolutely. You have to recognize, you have to know what you're dealing with. You have to know your The ammunition you need. Right. Right. So you know what's going to get to the person. Mm -hmm. And if I could read that person better, I can do things that are meaner. It's it's like bullies, the first thing they they know how to do is read that one thing that you hate about yourself. And they just go in there and And they're like, oh, let me brush that off and put that under the spotlight. Yeah. And that's that's a version of empathy. Sure. And that's empathy without compassion. Oftentimes empathy is talked about in the sales profession where if you are a really great empathizer, you can know how to say the right thing to get the person to make the sale, which could absolutely be used for bad Mm -hmm. and could then get someone to talk you into making a decision that's not in your best interest. Or hopefully it can be used for good where you're using empathy to really understand your client's needs and only offer something that's actually going to be the right match for them. And not trying to be funny or anything, but what about like sex workers? Why'd you have to say that so high-pitched? 
sex workers. No, it just makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have a tendency to talk high. That's all. <laughs> I would no, say, but I feel fine with it. I really do. Uh, no, anyone yeah. in a service profession. Absolutely. But in whether you're an accountant or a sex worker, empathy is ultimately a neutral thing. Mm-hmm. It can be used for good if through empathy you end up helping the person sure or it can be used for bad if you take advantage of the person through your ability to understand them okay so we've covered a little bit about what empathy is and how it works in the brain the fact that it's really just a tool for understanding people now i'm curious to talk to you about whether you think it is used for good or for harm and i'm curious to hear your perspective on that on the whole do you think empathy is good for us or bad for us good for us absolutely think it's good for us i think every religion is based on empathy i think every religion is based on the the concept of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think it's good because it reminds us that aside from political beliefs, religious beliefs, disagreements we have about presidents and senators and laws and guns and all this other stuff, that at the end of the day, we're all linked because we feel the same thing. We're all feeling humans. Mm -hmm. And I think empathy is something that is looked down upon because it's seen as a weakness. But I think if we all just kind of understand that something means something to someone, that uh, we can start empathizing with one another. You don't have to agree with their belief, but just acknowledge that they also feel strongly about something. It's like what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about talking to the neighbor and they made a racist remark and I was so upset. I was livid. Like uh, I, I didn't want to talk to them again. Ended up running into them again and... Something happened in me where I was able to understand where that remark came from because Mm. of her fear for her son. What did that do for you? Being able to get to a place where instead of seeing our neighbor as racist, you were able to see her as scared. What do you think the benefit of empathy was in that case, either for you or for her or for humanity? Things like an incident becoming resentment and resentment leading to less community. If I can show someone who doesn't believe the same things I do that I can still care for them as a human being then it might change how she treats others down the road that's really I mean powerful. I don't know I don't know if that's going to happen but that's my that's my hope I mean that's my belief anytime I show compassion to someone who doesn't believe the same way I do I so. guess the thing that I'm learning from what you're saying is that empathy allows you to solve the real problem versus get distracted by the surface level reaction that someone's having. So they're showing you hatred, but if you really step into their shoes and take their perspective and empathize, you can recognize that, for example, maybe it's fear and then you can find an actual genuine solution versus trying to address the surface issue, which right. might be look like anger. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at Facebook right now and everyone who, if you've read a post today that you're just like, that low down, dirty, snake, yellow bellied son of a bitch. And then- you, <laughs> I said that just this morning. Just this morning, I heard you. If you can read that and try to figure out what this person is really feeling, you know, that you might actually, I don't know, maybe this is like all in my own head, but I really do think that when we started talking about empathy, like when you, I got excited about this because it's something that I've been talking to about this with my therapist in terms of like this ability I've had that's unlocked in me that I feel like I can let more people in, that, mm. that strangers. Um, you recall the incident in the airport. So but, this was what, like 10 years ago or so? We, yeah, were, 2009. we were in an airport and you got into a bit of an altercation with a security TSA person. Sure. It resulted in some colorful language and in some and, clenched fists and more TSA agents and <laughs> Austin Police Department. You felt that you weren't treated fairly, which is probably the case. But then what happened? <laughs> yeah. So then afterwards, I was just sitting there and I was I was stewing. We were we were. <laughs> we were allowed to go eat. Remember, we, we, we they released us. They released us to go eat, <laughs> and we're sitting there. And I was like, "Boy, I was stewing, and no amount of Dr Pepper was gonna help." And, and then I saw the guy leaving. He was like getting. He was like going home or something like that. Like he, he had his stuff, and he was walking out. For a minute, I just put myself in his shoes, and I was like, "I can't imagine almost getting into a physical fight." At the end of my shift. At the end of my shift tired. because of that. And I saw him and the look that he, when he had this backpack on over one shoulder and he was just kind of walking, he just looked tired. He just looked like, like tired. And I was like, and I contributed to that. Like maybe this is his birthday, you know, for all I know. Maybe this, or, or maybe, you know, his girlfriend just broke up with him yesterday. They had a, something. And all of a sudden I was just like, man, I don't want to be part of that guy's problem. So I, I walked up to him and I was like, hey, and he spun around and you could tell he was like, 
all right, man, like, let's go. Like, because he was by himself this time. There was no Round police. Two. There was no, yeah. There was, and there was no. <laughs> and, uh, Tusty. And so I, I just, um, I was like, hey, would you, <laughs> would you like turkey or roast beef? And he was like, what? And I was like, I want to buy you lunch. Uh, I want to get you turkey or roast beef. And do you like I don't know why you couldn't throw a vegetarian option in Well, because at the time I wasn't vegetarian. (laughs) Oh, no, I was. I was vegetarian. Anyway, and and he was like, I'll take turkey. And so I walked up and I I got him a turkey sandwich with chips and um, and a Dr. Pepper. And I was like, here. And I was like, I just want to tell you that it had nothing to do. It wasn't personal. And I'm sorry. And I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have reacted that way. And you didn't need that shit. And I didn't need to take the fact that my plane got, remember, because we, we had to land there. And we were and delayed like, and we yeah. were worried about your I was dad. Like, it's not, it's not my, it's not your fault that my plane got delayed. Let me just do this for you. And, and, and then and, I was sitting there watching, falling in love. But something in me changed where, I, I, and, and I don't know what it was. I don't know. Maybe it was our new relationship and new love. And I wasn't trying to impress you. I swear Well, to a you. lot of our early on in our relationship was about building empathy for one another because sure. we had such different beliefs and perspectives on everything, <laughs> yeah. like everything. <laughs> and I think that actually forced us to go, oh, other people don't see the world that we, the way yeah. that we do. And they could still be the people that we love more than anyone in the world. That's right. It is so many differences. I was like, I was a Cowboys fan and you were like, what's football? <laughs> you know, it's, there was a lot. There was a lot. That's the pretty there much the biggest lot. one. I, you were like, I'm vegan. I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> what is that? So it sounds like you were a proponent of empathy, perhaps even sometimes a spokesperson or a poster child. I'm not a poster child. As it were, I'm not a poster child. I've had a poster made of that moment. (laughs) You giving someone the olive branch of Dr. Pepper. I do not look like a poster for empathy. (laughs) But that's what's so beautiful. You are a poster for empathy because you don't know what empathy looks like. So going back to The Walking Dead, Uh you're telling me when it comes to the TSA situation, empathy has a place. Mm -hmm. But now we're in a place where people don't just need a Dr. Pepper and a sandwich. They need their lives saved. Yeah. And you're going to leave them on the other side of that fence? I don't know. All right. Maybe that's not true. Okay. Maybe I like to talk a big game about like not helping people. But, but at the end of the day. At the end of the day, maybe I would. But but I'm telling you right now, if I saw a bunch of people that I, I'm like, I don't know if they're friend or foe, I'm going to keep them at arm's distance. Maybe I'll let you have a sip of water. But what I ain't going to do is I ain't going to put my guns down. I ain't going to put my boots. I ain't going to take my boots off around you. Okay. And I sure as hell ain't going to put my, my knife or my blades down. I don't know why you have to get so Southern about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't even the right South. I'm from Texas. I ain't from no Kentucky. Uh, all right. Was that so, a Kentucky sound that I just made? Well, you did the dueling banjos, right? Okay. Yeah. But I hear you. And I think that's actually a really practical approach. So you can go, okay, I'll share my water with you. But I'm I ain't going to trust you. I ain't going to trust you. Yeah. I'll keep you at a distance. Hell yeah. But I will help you out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, But it's hard because if you don't have anything, like if it's just you and I and my whole goal, not that you need anyone to protect you or anything. I ain't all feminist. I understand. I ain't that. But but my job, my duty would be to keep you safe. You would keep me safe as well. Like I, I you better keep me safe. But I would keep you safe. So if, if I felt like there was anything threatening that so if we encountered a group of people and one of them looked a little a little pale and they're telling me it's allergies so you're saying discriminate against the white people i'm really white people yeah yeah (laughs) with circles under your eyes actually what you're bringing up is also captured in the research so we've heard from brian luna now let's hear from the research first psychologists have found that positive empathy being able to feel some of the good feelings of others this ability or skill, is also associated with social closeness and personal well-being, plus one point for empathy. Okay. More empathetic people, especially those who are good at perspective-taking, that's like what you did with this individual, this TSA individual, Mm -hmm. they tend to have healthier and more satisfying romantic relationships. Interesting. Plus two for empathy. Yeah. Yeah. And empathetic people are more likely to help others. Mm -hmm. So empathy seems to be really important for promoting pro-social behavior. And various studies have found that when we feel that others are empathetic toward us, we feel more trust, connection, and safety. For example, a study that looked at empathetic behavior among nurses found that it led to reduced patient distress, which can also be a predictor of physical health as I well. guess that's what they mean about, like, good bedside manner. You yes, know, so it's like actually want all about trust empathy. And so that way, because 
My mom lies to doctors all the time. <laughs> My mom lies to doctors because she doesn't lies. trust them. She yeah. didn't trust them. If I can get you to trust me and then you tell me, open up and tell me the truth about, mm-hmm. you know, your symptoms Exercise, or your patterns. yeah, like how I eat. Then and... maybe I find out the truth and yeah. maybe you're more likely to hear my advice. This is where empathy gets really tricky because our brains seem wired to empathize with people who are similar to us. Okay. Remember when I showed you that video of a needle piercing someone's uh, hand? Yeah. <laughs> you might never be able to forget Moments it. Moments ago. So it turns out that when white participants are shown a video of a white hand being pierced by a needle, they experience much more of an intense reaction than if they watch a black hand being pierced by the needle. Wow. What do you what do you think that's all about? Um, so this America? <laughs> what do you think? I think. <laughs> well, and it's not just so, as a person of color, I yeah. would say that is accurate. It goes for whatever you identify with. So what I'm saying is, if I showed you a video of someone with your skin tone, uh-huh. what research would suggest is that you would experience even more of an intense mirror neuron sensation. On the grimmer side, there's now a growing body of research showing that highly empathetic individuals can actually become extremely aggressive to members of people they perceive as outgroup members and even take pleasure in the suffering of those individuals. Can you give me an example of that? Like what's a, if I'm an empathetic person, who's an outgroup member to me? So this is going back to what you were bringing up with The Walking Dead, right? Let's say you and I Mm -hmm. are survivors. Now strangers are coming in to say, hey, can we have a little bit of what you have? If you're highly empathetic, what research would suggest is that you would actually then have intense empathy for me and care about my needs and see those people as a major threat. Yeah, that's exactly, yes! This is the part of empathy that very rarely do we ever talk about, which is that empathy seems to have evolved to help us focus on and care about and tend to members of individuals we see as our tribe. So then right now, we're exactly where we should be empathy-wise in this country. Are you telling me it's going to be impossible for the left side to show empathy for the right side? What I'm telling you is that research suggests that just being empathetic doesn't make you more empathetic for the other side. Right, that's what I mean. So you have to actually take very deliberate steps to be able to extend the empathy you feel and bring that over to individuals that you don't see as members of your tribe. I remember when... Israel and Palestine, I mean, this has been going on for years and years and years. And one of the things that I used to love are reading stories about people from the other side of the wall. Mm -hmm. There's one particular photo that a friend of ours posted of a Palestinian and an Israeli kissing over the over the wall. Mm. And it was just this beautiful thing. It's like those are the kind of things that are going to stir up controversy. And it's going to take those kind of actions to really change our way of thinking. We have to pepper it in there. We have to keep adding these There's these this great instances. framing of this by primatologist Franz Duwall, who says that our current challenge as humans is that we're experiencing globalization by a tribal species, hmm. meaning that we've yeah. evolved to be tribal and evolution hasn't caught up to yeah. the environment that we're in right now. That's so amazing. the stories that you're describing right now, those are glimmers of us starting to see humanity as our tribe. And my hope is that it goes beyond just looking at humanity as your tribe, but looking at all living all things. living things as your tribe. Yeah. Because yes, tribalism did help us get here, but it might not be the thing that helps us get there. Yeah. I think what you're talking about in that beautiful image that you described of the kiss across the walls, that does seem to be the way forward for us in terms of being able to extend empathy toward other people or other species is to zoom out and recognize that we're all members of the same tribe. And it's hard right now because this is also the time when everyone wants to be heard. So new tribes are popping up every day. And that's important to listen to as well. So it's hard because like you have all these subgroups popping out, even if you look at politically. That's fair. So maybe I will amend what I just said, because maybe it isn't realistic to just all be like, I have no identity. I'm just part of the world. I'm just part of the world. Maybe what's important is just to recognize that you are a member of lots of different groups, that your Mm -hmm. identity isn't fixed. It's constantly shifting and kind of shimmering depending on what light you look at it in. Right. Okay. So that's challenge number one when it comes to empathy is that unless we're careful, high empathy empathy levels are going to turn toward our in-group and the inverse of empathy happens with our out-group. Challenge number two when it comes to empathy, empathy can lead to what's known as empathy distress. This is when we overdo it on empathy and basically burn out. Researchers Vicki Helgeson and Heidi Fritz believe that binging on empathy is one explanation for why women might suffer more from depression than men do. They say that women are more likely to take on what they call unmitigated communion, a focus on an involvement with others to the exclusion of yourself. It's basically when you start feeling so much 
of what the other person is feeling, you prioritize that over your own. Interesting. Safety. Why why women over men? Maybe it, it has to do with childbirth and childcare. It's probably also socialized, mm-hmm. right? Where women are expected to be the primary caretakers. Women are praised for being empathetic, whereas yeah. men are sometimes if they show made fun of, of for it. Yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think that too much empathy can be harmful? Not in the situation of Mantis. I mean, she can use empathy as like an actual power. Who's Mantis? She's uh, one of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Yeah, in the Avengers. Okay. Um, so basically, her whole power is based on <laughs> what empathy. I learned from what I learned about humans through superheroes. No, <laughs> well, the by first, Brian Luna. I'll tell you, you laugh at me, but the first time I'm not I, laughing. No, I actually no, think you have some really the, cool insights. Well, the first time I ever heard the word empathy was from an old comic in the '90s called Generation X, where one of the it wasn't until the '90s that you learned about empathy. The word empathy, like I knew what empathy was, I just didn't know. I didn't have a word for it. So it's not something we learned in high school, that's, not in Texas. <laughs> yeah, we didn't learn that in Texas. Uh, but when I got to college and I was reading comic books and a Generation X came along and there was a character and they were an empath. Mm. That was their power. So they and could they literally feel to, the real feelings of They were literally able to feel and then in some cases manipulate certain emotions to help get what they wanted. That's so, like emotional intelligence to the max. To the max. Okay. So, so you think Mantis is fine with it. So mm-hmm. let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, so your original question was... Can you overdo it on empathy? It could be a problem when you put yourself behind everyone else. Or even if you're in a helping profession where you're not necessarily prioritizing others, but you're constantly paying attention to what people are feeling. I'll have these days sometimes at work where I'm interacting with, let's say, clients, maybe I'm coaching or training, and people are talking about really difficult things that they're going through. I have to really watch my own emotional output so that I'm not completely drained at the end of the day. So you regulate a little bit to make sure I you're find not, myself regulating. Yeah. So there, there are two things that I do. One is if I'm starting to feel really burnt out, I will either actually take breaks and feel a little bit less empathy or switch out of emotional empathy and, in, and a little bit more into cognitive empathy. So just think about what they're feeling versus I've feel also, what they're feeling. Yeah, I've also seen with us when you've had a particularly hard day at work or something like that, you allow yourself to be kind of cared for a little bit more. Yeah. I know what kind of day you've had just by how you wind down with me. I appreciate you being there when I need a little bit of that emotional (laughs) fortitude. I think the other piece that helps me recharge is remembering to appreciate that I get to be there for this person and Mm -hmm. help this person. If I can think of myself as helping just by listening, that recharges me in and of itself. It could help to just say, this is what I want to be doing. I'm choosing to do this. And And if you don't have that choice... That's when it's draining right. and that's when it's dangerous. Right. It's just as important to have empathy for yourself, which sounds Absolutely. It sounds cheesy, crazy, yeah. But but I think it's true <laughs> because otherwise it turns into resentment. Yeah. I think we talked about this a lot in our own relationship of how toxic resentment is and how important it is to ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't and you just keep giving, you get resentment, which is just going to hurt both of you. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about some of the pros and cons of empathy. Mm-hmm. In our last section of yep. this episode, I'd love to turn to how we can learn to use empathy well. Okay. I want to start by recreating a bit of an experiment, mm-hmm. first conducted by Cameron Daryl and team. So I'm going to give you two tests. Yeah. For test one, I want you to describe the details of the photos, not what people are feeling, just what you're seeing, as many details as possible. I see a young child covered in dust. Looks like there was an accident. She's frightened. She's wearing like a red outfit. And there's um, what looks like a healthcare worker. I see a foreign language. That's good. That's good. You can stop there. You went a little bit into emotions, but it's okay. Okay. Oh, because I said she was scared. We're going to do test two. This time I want you to go all into emotions. So you can describe briefly what you're looking at. Sorry about that. Mostly. No, it's okay. That's why it's a test. And then I'll let you know how you did relative to others. So for test number two, this time you can briefly describe what you're looking at just so people can picture it. Okay. But then I want you to focus in on what are they feeling. Okay. I'm looking at... A group of five people. They have game controllers in their hands. They're all sitting on the floor. Okay, so now no more details and just go into the emotions. They're having a blast. They are laughing and smiling. There's a look of enthusiasm. And one person, obviously the the youngest child, either they let her win (laughs) or she won on, on her own. And uh, there's a look of pride in the uh, what looks like it could be the father's face. Uh, mouths open, eyes wide, or tight because they're smiling so big. Okay, you can stop there. Ready for your score? Yeah. 
Okay, so for test number one, you were average, exactly average what? for that one. <laughs> average? I got a C on that? Test number two, yeah. you scored 95% better. You hear that, Moss? Straight <laughs> Than other participants. How did they feel? Hard? Easy? Well, obviously the, the second one was easy. Okay, so here's what the research team found. First, they realized that people found it mentally taxing to actively use their empathy. So actually, for most people, mm -hmm. they felt the opposite of what you just described. They were shown pictures of either positive emotion, negative emotion type experiences. And both for positive and for negative, most people found it much more effortful to have to activate their empathy and describe what people were feeling versus just describe the scene. A mantis. Your mantis. Yeah, maybe you've oh, been... <laughs> Yeah, you oh, actually found it effortful to not notice emotions. That's so beautiful, Brian. <laughs> That's I'm beautiful. layers, baby. I'm an onion. You I'm really layers. are an onion. <laughs> but here's, uh. here's where it got really interesting. Uh -huh. So the score that I gave you, that was fake. That was based on what they did in the research. What? Because <laughs> what is that based on? How do you think I, I was know. able to even judge you? I don't know. You got your little laptop there and your little witch box. I don't know if you're, what you got in front of you. <laughs> so... Half the people were told that they were 95% better than average. So I'm not mantis? Test. No, no, you are. You are super mantis because before getting their score, most people, if they were given the option of paying attention to details or paying attention to emotions, only 35% chose emotions. Hmm. For the most part, people were like, oh, this is exhausting. They actually described it as effortful. Wow. But here's the really interesting thing. If they were tricked into thinking that they were really good at it. Yeah. They actually chose doing the empathy task and described it as easier. Weird. Interesting. Tip number one, believing that being empathetic is within your control makes you more likely to demonstrate empathy and it makes it easier to express empathy. Yeah. Okay, here comes empathy skill building tip number two. Take a look at the next photo. All right. Okay, so you are looking at an entire community that was impacted by a natural disaster. Mm -hmm. There's over 100 kids living here. They are now in extreme poverty. Mm -hmm. By donating money to this community, you can make sure that these kids get a hot meal every day. All right, now I want you to look at the next picture. All right. So this is a picture of just one child from that community. <laughs> he goes by the nickname that he's chosen for himself. It's Bibi. He's seven years old. And he loves playing hide-and-seek. And your donation can help make sure that he gets a hot meal every day. <laughs> Which of these images and stories is likely to make you want to donate money? I think you made the second one up. <laughs> His name ain't BB. Okay, I'll play along. I think the first one for me. So you'd be more likely to donate if you saw the large group of kids. Why is that? Well, because you're seeing what this can impact. Like, I wouldn't want to just help one of these kids. Okay. I wouldn't want to just help BB if that's okay. his real name. Brian I'd Luna thwarts psychology again, as usual. So it turns out that for most people, this is super counterintuitive, but we are consistently more moved yes. to emotional empathy and compassion when we hear the story of one impacted oh. individual, person, or animal. Actually, the way that you reacted <laughs> makes more sense, uh -huh. right? That's more cognitive empathy because you're thinking, well, I want to help more people. But most humans are not like Brian Luna. Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. We do that thing where we donate. We donate doing. money to the animal farm sanctuary every Thanksgiving. And, and they and save we, a turkey. We adopt a turkey. Lately, like in the last like five years, we've been adopting a shitload of turkeys. Otherwise known as a flock. I think it's a shitload in Texas. <laughs> they show all the pictures. Yeah, and they name and that, the turkeys. And that has more of an effect on me than seeing yeah. Willie the turkey. So you are really unusual because most people will donate to Willie the turkey. Animal Farm Sanctuary does a great job of this because I'll actually have like a little personality profile. Oh my God, they have the whole, if y'all haven't been to this website, I don't care if you eat meat or whatever. You go and you look at it because it's a really cool way to yeah. show the animals. So here's the thing. For most people, they are much more impacted when they look at one individual mm. than a group. Research even shows that once we start to see more than one individual impacted, we experience what's called compassion fade. Because you're looking at that going like, I can't possibly make a dent in that. Right. I think that also is connected to the fact that we tend to empathize with in-group members. Mm -hmm. The story of one individual, one animal, one person, you can see yourself in that story. Yeah. You can relate to that. Whereas you look at a huge number of suffering people, animals, children, whatever, and that feels overwhelming. Cool. You can't see yourself in that. I think shelters do a great job of this on Facebook. 
because animal they profile shelters. yeah they profile one animal yeah and I mean hell we were gonna go and adopt this one my buddy uh, Mike Pantusa what up Mike? sounds like you just said we um, were gonna adopt your buddy no Mike no no, no he posted something in San <laughs> Mike, Antonio Mike we've got a hot <laughs> meal for you every don't night. tell we've him that a, you'll never get rid a of clean him bed uh, so no my buddy Mike Pantusa sent me a uh, a listing or he posted a listing from uh, he lives in San Antonio of a dog that just happened to be in New Jersey that we were gonna go out there and adopt right but she she got adopted. The beauty is that the shelters put up posts, they put up videos of the dog. Absolutely. So if you want to inspire empathy in others, tell the story of one individual. Mm -hmm. If you want to feel more empathy for others, if you feel your own empathy or compassion fading, the trick to it is to really start focusing on one story at a time. Don't think in large numbers or brains didn't evolve (laughs) for that. Start paying attention and getting really curious about one person or one animal. Spend all your time waiting. <laughs> Those videos at night of the dogs in the shelters. All, all your time, time waiting. waiting. Oh, <laughs> you that pit bull in the thing. I'm like, oh. give me that pit bull. <laughs> so aside from watching those incredibly heart-wrenching commercials, you can exercise more empathy by just focusing on the fact that everyone has a story to tell. Yeah. By getting really interested or asking more questions of an individual. Or one of the things that I really like to do is read stories about people from backgrounds that I usually don't get a chance to come into contact with. Empathy building tip number three. Tip number three, 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 three. 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 While being exposed to more individual stories, notice what you have in common. This is the best antidote we have to apathy. Mm -hmm. Just constantly notice commonalities, whether it's people or other species. The more we can remind our brains that we're on the same side, the more we activate our natural empathy. A related tip is empathy building skill number four. Four. Woo! Four. (laughs) And that's actively practicing perspective taking. So for example, psychologist C. Daniel Batson and team asked participants to imagine how a person with AIDS, this was in the 90s, a homeless person or convicted murderer was feeling. And they found that just the simple thought exercise reduced negative bias and improved empathy and positive attitudes towards individuals going through those situations. So... I'm thinking we try that one. How might you step into my shoes or I slippers guess currently? Just appreciating me, um, <laughs> the the person sitting across from you, and I would I would sit there if I was you. I'd be like, wow, like how lucky am I? Like I should count my blessings, even though they say don't count your blessings. I would count them and be like one. He's like one through nine. If I had to count all my blessings. Why do these experiments keep failing? Why? What? <laughs> I'm saying, like, this is something. No, okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. All right. So if I was going to put myself in your shoes. Yeah. How might you... you empathize with me more? Your stress. In this time. I mean, I remember when this thing first cracked, you stayed up all night worrying about your people. Crunching numbers, looking at people, and trying to keep everybody Okay, well, this is making me uncomfortable, so I'm going to move on to empathy <laughs> tip number five. Five, five, five. <laughs> which is actually really related. I'm giving themes I got to that. each number, so you know what that was? The, oh, the Jackson baby, five. Give me, yeah. <laughs> give me one more chance. One, so this is, two, this is the last one that I'll share, and then I'm curious to see if you have any others, since you are the, you know, Mantis. real life version of Mantis, mm-hmm. is learning emotion regulation skills, Okay, <laughs> which I'm really good at. <laughs> so good that sometimes I can't stop regulating my emotions. <laughs> this basically boils down to getting to know your own feelings so that you don't just focus on how can I be there more for others because that could lead to compassion fatigue or even burnout. You've got to just as much as you're attuned to others, stay attuned to yourself. So that way, if you feel yourself starting to burn out, that is your indicator that you have to take a break. Or if you feel yourself starting to care less or feel more apathy, then you can go, let me actively step into the shoes of others. Let me actively look at people's facial expressions so that I can feel more. Any final empathy tips from Mantis? Hell yeah. I would say this. Don't project. Listen. Yeah. Don't assume. You may think you know. And this happens between us sometimes. That's sympathy, right? That's when you kind of put your own feelings. Exactly. Where I'm like, oh, that sadness. I got this. I know sadness. And it's not the same thing. Keep from using words like, I know how you feel. I understand. I get you. Just listen. Open yourself up. Sometimes people just want to be heard, right? Sometimes uh, empathy doesn't mean you have to overstep and and try to solve a problem. It just means you have to listen 
and be in a moment which may be uncomfortable with someone who needs that help. It's feeling help. what the other person is feeling instead of trying to change what they're feeling, instead of trying to make it go away. I guess the insight that I've had through learning from you and your expression of empathy and your skill of listening is my goal shouldn't be to fix. My goal should be to understand. Mm-hmm. And actually, even if I don't understand, yeah. that's okay too. That's important. Right? Even understanding isn't that important. Yeah, yeah. Because once you get into understanding, then you run that risk of, I don't get it. So this person must be nuts. Okay. Okay. And you're right. And I'm actually still learning this. So what should my goal be? Your goal should be in the beginning to just listen, see where it takes you. Is it fair to say my goal is to help the person feel heard or to be seen? I I would say start with that. Yeah. Seen, heard, however you want to phrase that. But it's okay if you don't understand. It's It's okay if you can't. You're not always going to understand, right? Because everyone's journey is different. Everyone, like what got you in that chair isn't what got me in this chair right now. That's beautiful. I think that kind of ties what we've been talking about together because empathy is about recognizing the sameness that we all experience while at the same time honoring the fact that how we got to where we got is Mm going to be completely different for every single person. That's how you make a tribe bigger. That's how you incorporate smaller tribes. We are the same in our differences. Exactly. The other thing I would say, my other tip, tip number seven, studio. All those new jacks out there that are trying and trying like me, and this is all new, and you want to be open, and you want to be more caring, and you want to, but you come from a tough place, or you come from a tough background, and ain't that easy. I would say this, just like you would tell someone who's always big talking and stuff like that about how tough they are, you say, yeah, you're the toughest in your backyard, but step over that fence. And I would say the same thing to people who are trying to express themselves or trying to understand is get out of your yard, step over that fence and really get in an uncomfortable place where you can still come back over if it gets too crazy, but really step over that fence and see what else is out there. There's a huge world. There's a huge, huge world out there and it ain't just to where you can see. It's almost like you can be a better person by recognizing just how small Mm -hmm. each of us is in the face of the vastness of this world. Yeah. Well, one way that you could help other people step outside their yard is to share this show with people. Yeah, share our yard. Share our yard. Invite them to our yard. Yeah, we got <laughs> we got good barbecue over here, and it's it's vegan. Yeah, but it's good. Come to our vegan virtual vegan barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you want to make the world a better place, a more empathetic place, pass on this episode. And if y'all have any feedback, questions, or anything we might have forgotten, please feel free to write us and reach out to us and let us know what you think. And thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Talk Talk Psych Psych to Me. Me.